This Kendra is where they make their mark. This is the time where you've got to turn the table. You've got to take advantage and ride this wave in this momentum. Look out! Welcome to the Match Preview Podcast. Callum Williams, as always, alongside former Miss Minnesota soccer, Kendra D. St. Aubin, who shakes her head in displeasure with me describing her as that. As I said to you on the TV, I did some digging last week, so I've got plenty more where that came from. Don't worry about it. You must have um, had a really let's... long shovel because you had to really dig deep <laughs> for that one. <laughs> Found some stuff that, that will be popping up for sure. Um Right, let's uh, let's focus on the, the last couple of days for Minnesota United, shall we? Um, no doubt we'll talk about Sporting Kansas City in the, the next couple of moments here, and, and in the next segment we'll be joined by the Sporting KC assistant manager, Kerry Zavagnan. First though, Kendra, two Californian sides for Minnesota to try and get the better of. <laughs> they got a point in two games against LA Galaxy and San Jose Earthquakes. First of all, look, just about everybody has had their say on LA Galaxy. We don't need to dive too much into it because it was all about Jonathan Klinsman, wasn't it? And it's funny that you say that, Kyle, because I was just talking to Tyler Miller about it today at training. I was like, off the record, Tyler, when you see a goalkeeper do what he did, especially when he's played zero minutes on the season in MLS, what what's your impression of it as a goalkeeper, as a as a fellow goalkeeper? And he said, you know, of course, you're you're you just kind of tip your cap to him. You're impressed. You're watching from the other end going, wow, that was pretty incredible. But he did say something I thought was kind of interesting because he said, ultimately, in our position, it's about consistency. You don't want the flash in the pan. And yes, Jonathan Klinsman did with that opportunity what he could. But ultimately, you want to be consistent and make the saves you're supposed to make. And on that night, Jonathan Klinsman made every save he was supposed to make and the ones he wasn't supposed to make. And I was thoroughly impressed. He stood on his head. You said it. You just have to tip your cap and move on. And I think that's what Minnesota United did. They knew that they had a quick turnaround, no time to focus on that match and, and what uh, Klinsman was able to do and get ready for a San Jose team on the road. And Cal, I think I know when I left the stadium on Tuesday night, when we got done calling the game off monitor, that it felt like there's been a few of these games where if you had gone into the game saying, okay, the team's going on the road, it's a quick turnaround. I'll take a point. You would take it. But then when you've gone on the road and they get a red card in the 12th minute or whatever it was, and you still only come away with a point, you kind of feel hard done. You feel like it was a missed opportunity for the loons to get the three points on the road because of the circumstances. So I think there was a little bit of a, an element of, of frustration or disappointment is maybe the better word, even at training today when I spoke to some of the guys and, and just to Adrian Heath as well. No surprise, really, though, is it, that there is a sense of disappointment because Minnesota had several opportunities. Minnesota were obviously with a man advantage after Nathan was sent off midway through the first half of that game in San Jose. So, so instantly, Kay, when, when you've got a man advantage, you, you do at that stage suspect there is a feeling and an expectation of getting some sort of result. And, and I know Minnesota did. They got a point but it just felt as though it could have been so much more. Yeah, and, and the goal you allowed is an own goal, a really unlucky, unfortunate situation. So I think there were just a number of things that you look at this, this game and you're thinking if you're Minnesota United or Adrian Heath, 
this is one that you could get the three on the road, even though it was a quick turnaround and a a short rest period. And you're missing some players due to injuries and whatnot. And then when you go up a man, you're really kind of probably your mouth is watering thinking we should be able to capitalize on these chances. But we also know that when a team goes a man down and, and they're even more bunkered in, or there's even more of a shell defensively and the number advantage is tough to come by because everybody's behind the ball. So yes, even though on the entire pitch, you're a man up when everybody for San Jose is behind the ball, that's where the creativity and the pace at which you play and move the ball, you know, has got to, has got to factor in for Minnesota United. They created the chances. And I think that um, they all felt disappointed to come home with just the one point and not the three. Were you surprised with the starting 11 that Adrian Heath went with? You know, I think the the hard part for me is, is that we're not privy to every single discussion and the health of the players and the, you know, the the mindset of the players coming off the LA Galaxy game and going into the, the San Jose game with the quick turnaround and the travel and whatnot, who's got knocks and niggles and things like that. You know, there were maybe aspects that surprised me a little bit. I, I was not surprised by the back four. I thought that that would remain the same. I'm, I'm still trying, I'm kind of starting to wonder and figure out when is Michael Boxel going to get back into the mix here. And, and Brent Coleman's been great and you like the depth, but I kind of thought that he might be one of those guys that he's your starter. He's your center back. He's your captain. He would step right in once he was healthy and fit and ready to play. But I think from an attacking perspective, you know, I think there's other ways that they could have gone about trying to create opportunities from an offensive standpoint. I still think Adrian Anu is a good option up top. I think it's going to be about who and how players adapt underneath him or how he adapts to the players underneath him with his movement off the ball. I'm not a huge fan of Hassani Dotson. If he's on the outside of the 4-2-3-1, we saw Reynoso drift outside an awful lot. DJ Taylor, I thought, stepped in brilliantly at last minute for Chase Gasper. You could see the overlapping plays by Roma Metinier. You know, Jan Gregus and, and Will Trapp sitting in that kind of, I don't know if they were the dual, you know, the pivoting sixes or if it was more like Trapp was pushing up a little bit higher or uh, I'm not Trapp, I'm sorry. Um, Gregus pushing up a little bit higher. But I, I think that that Adrian Heath will have to really think about what he's going to do now for this game against Sporting Kansas City, knowing how many minutes the attacking players have played the the back line always kind of stays the same, but I think that he's going to have to think really long and hard about how he's going to rotate and who he's going to put out there to be effective in this game. Um, I don't know. I thought Reynoso, uh, you know, does what he does. I thought Unu looked better. Could he put other players in there? I did think maybe not so much the starting 11 Cal and you and I talked about this a little bit after the game, but maybe the substitutions that were made. Is this a, is this a game where you could have put Patrick Way on the pitch and just had him have a go at it from a young athletic standpoint with some ability and, and hungry to try to prove himself and score a goal late? Um, or Juan Aguadello or, or any of those options. Ozzy Alonso, maybe just to give somebody a little bit of a rest centrally. Um, I don't know. I... I I thought that with the way the game played and I didn't, I didn't mind the starting 11 that they threw out there knowing who was available. But of course, after the fact, you know, it's easy to say should have done this, should have done that. And I think Adrian Anu really needs a goal in the worst way. Yeah. 
Um, I don't think, at least for a long time, I don't think I've seen a centre-forward that has needed a goal like Antoine Unu does. Um, and it'll come, it, no doubt. Um, he's becoming a little more understanding of where he needs to be and the certain areas that are more threatening compared to what I think is a little more natural to his game. Um, but I certainly think the goals will come at some stage. The issue for, for Minnesota moving into this game against Sporting KC is that we're not entirely sure of the availability of some of the other wide players like Robin Burrits and Aniko Hansen, uh, Franco Fragapane as well. We saw Fragapane training earlier this week and, and assumed he would be perhaps available off the bench for San Jose. That wasn't the case. Um, if, if these issues remain, Kindra, what does Adrian Heath do, given a game it's such a short turnaround, three games in seven days as well, are there any other options than to go with what he's he's played on on Tuesday in San Jose? You know, I don't I don't think there are. I really don't. I don't think there are any other options I, I, unless you put Ozzy Alonso in there. But the, to me, that's not really the problem that you're. That's not the area that you're dealing with from a depth perspective. I think Hassani Dotson will trap if they have a light week of training, having played Tuesday night, traveling back on Wednesday. If they have a light week and they can kind of rest and regenerate, both those players. Um, and even Jan Gregus, for that matter, are are so smart in taking care of their bodies and doing what they need to do to be ready. The holding midfield or that central midfield position isn't where my questions arise as far as who do you need to give a rest and who do you sub out? It is those wing positions. It's those wide areas. Ethan Finley now has played an insane amount of minutes in the last five games after hardly playing any at all in the previous 10. So how is he going to be? And he's same professional. will take care of his body. He'll do what he can do to get himself ready, but it's a two 30 PM game in the middle of the afternoon, uh, you know, on a short turnaround against a Western conference opponent who's sitting at number two in the standings, you know, there's a certain level of energy and, expectation with the club right from the get-go and I I don't know I think we might struggle to see that a little bit and that's not a mental thing this is a physical thing of just what can their bodies do and I'm looking at who was on the bench for Minnesota United in the San Jose game the only change will probably be Chase Gasper will come back in and be in the fold so DJ Taylor would maybe be on the bench but I mean from a midfield position you literally have Ozzy Alonso and Justin McMaster on the bench, you know, so, um, you know, you've got Raitala, Aguadelo, Boxel. We had two goalkeepers and Patrick Weah. So if Nico Hansen and Frego Pane don't come back in and Robin Lud don't come back in, that's going to be a tough ask, I think, for this for this group. Um, and I don't know how Adrian Heath could even rotate the players if he wanted to. Would you, of, of the players I just named, who would you rotate out? How would you change the... You know, how, how do you even give somebody a rest and bring some fresh legs in in that group? My only thing here is that does he stick with a 4-2-3-1 um, or does he go back to the 4-3-3, which we, we saw in San Jose, um, perhaps to, to match up with, with Sporting Casey, who, who, of course, have, have traditionally played a 4-3-3 for a long time now. Um, it'll be interesting to see. Um, I, again, I would agree with, with what you're insinuating and, and saying that, there isn't too much to change because because of the injuries and the absentees, it is quite limited at the moment. And you and I had said when we saw the bench before coming on air on Tuesday, um, it did look quite limited, the bench did. So it'll be interesting to see, but I, I don't suspect a myriad of adjustments at all. And 
also the fact that, okay, both Lord and Fagapane aren't available, but the rest of the group, I think it's probably what Adrian Heath uses his strongest unit that's available to him anyway. And that's the kind of group that you want available going up against Sporting Kansas City. So with all of that in mind, Kindred, two more questions before we go to break. How? How do you, with, with what we know at the moment, and we're recording this again on a Thursday afternoon, how does Sporting KC approach the game coming to Minnesota? How do Minnesota get the better of Sporting KC, a team that are second in the Western Conference at the moment? Well, I think, you know, and and really quickly before I forget, the only other thing that maybe this could be an opportunity would be for a player like Rosales, like the, the, the new winger player that Minnesota United has brought in. Is he available? Can he play? Is this something where you could at least put him on the bench um, with his abilities if he if he is ready to go? He's been training with the team and a bit on the side, kind of like a Franco Francopane where you're trying to figure out, is he limited? And I'm not saying this, is, this would really be throwing you into the fire in this opportunity if you were him, but I'm saying if you're looking for another warm body that is a winger and that can play on the outside and has some pace and is looking to prove something, he might be the only other one that I could see be on the bench. Um, but if you're a sporting Kansas city, you know, you played Wednesday night, you played a really difficult match, even though it was at home against, um, I just forgot who they just, Oh, Portland, <laughs> as you and I were talking about it last night during the game, they played a very difficult match where they barely eked out a point against the Portland Timbers and they probably shouldn't have. And they're in the same position as far as just the rotation of players, the quality. And we, we saw them rotate again in the league's cup. And so they've had an extra game in there as well. And I think everybody's dealing with a scenario of, um, lack of, uh, preparation because of the quick mm. turnaround, lack of um, not quality because people are t- testing their depth. But if you have any injuries and guys are coming back, it's going to be a challenge for um, both clubs. And it's going to be probably mind over matter to a certain degree about who's going to come out here. Adrian Heath, Minnesota United has got to get a goal early. I really truly believe that any team that comes in on the road these days in this kind of a situation where the schedule is so tight, the longer you can keep that game scoreless, you will feel like you have won and you will gain the momentum, let's say hypothetically heading into the second half. So Minnesota United, if you get on the front foot in the first 20 minutes and you score a goal, I think that you have a real chance at somehow finding a way to keep Daniel Shallowy, Gotti Kinda, Alan Polito, and company off the score sheet, um, Kyrie Shelton. I mean, we could go down the list of some of the attacking players for Sporting Kansas City of making it feel like you have you can get on the front foot at home, um, even though everybody's on a quick turnaround and, and everybody's rosters are a little bit tight. Finally, and it's funny you end on attacking players there, because Adrian Heath said to us last week, Kate, that after the release of Ramon Avila, who of course ended up at DC United and <laughs> just how football works, ironically he scored on Wednesday for DC against New England, lovely goal as well. Um, given that, and given we spoke of the limitations earlier on, given the fact that it is really right now when you talk of centre forwards, mm. it is really only Adrian Unu and Juan Agudelo that's available. Adrian Heath said to us last week that they are in the free agency markets. And if the right player becomes available, they will do something, which is all good and well. But what kind of centre forward do they need in this roster? 
Well, I think that goes back to the, the couple conversations we've had about who and how will play along best alongside best alongside Adrian Anu, not necessarily alongside as a secondary forward, but complement each other's styles or complement the style of Emmanuel Reynoso. I actually thought that Adrian Anu would be a good quality type of forward that could play off and over the top and through with Emmanuel Reynoso with Robin Lud and kind of try to stay out of the way with his runs. And we saw a few of those balls in over the top against San Jose where he was trying to get on the end of a long ball, or he was trying to read the back line, find himself a pocket of space between the center back and an outside back and time his run perfectly. So he can get something over the top. And I think that we've seen time and time again with, uh, with, Adrian Heath's style and and what he likes to see. He likes the high pressing forward, but I I'm kind of starting to be convinced that he wants a player that can do a little bit more of a combination. Can they do hold up when necessarily? Can they get in behind when necessary? Can they combine when necessary? And then sometimes it'll depend on who is healthy alongside of him. If, if Robin Lud isn't healthy, then that may present you a different kind of center forward that you want in that match. If depending on your your winger, is it Nico Hansen? Is it Franco Fragapane? Is it Robin Lud? Is it Ethan Finley? Those wingers all present different problems, or I shouldn't say problem problems for the opposition. So I think if you're Minnesota United, sometimes who you want to play centrally has to have that centrally as an attacking player has to have that type of versatility that regardless of who's on the wing, they can play and combine with any of those players. And they're going to press high. They're going to have the pace. They're going to be able to get it behind. They're going to be able to check back and hold the ball. They're going to be able to check back and combine peel off the shoulder. I mean, I know that's a big ask, but it just feels like with Adrian Heath and the way he likes to play and the difference in the styles of the wingers, depending on who he has in the, on the field, that forward pretty much has to be able to do all of those things and read the game, which is a thing that Adrian Heath talked about a lot with Adrian Anu, his ability to read the game and find the right run. So I, I'm I'm not giving up an Adrian Anu yet. And I do think that he could still find his form and find his goals once he gets going. And he does have, I think, a really good ability of reading the game and trying to find those pockets of space. But when he he just has to finish when he finally gets the ball, whether it's on his head or on his foot. Do you have a player okay. in mind? I, I don't have any players in mind. I mean, there's an abundance of free agents for sure at the moment. But, but um, not, a, not a name per se, but like a person that you're like, yeah, a player like this, of this style could fit. Someone... That plays in another league, but you're like, yeah, this, you know, someone can emulate this or has this kind of a style and can get him for the right price. This would work. I think what they need to do is they perhaps need to find somebody who can offer them something different. So whether that is a pressing forward, um, whether that is an out and out target man, um, you know, somebody, I'm not suggesting somebody um, like Aaron Schoenfeld in terms of the ability, but um somebody who can post up, somebody who Reynoso can play off of, maybe. It would just give them a couple of more ideas. It would give them more angles to work with, um, the, the players behind that that particular forward from a, a target forward perspective. Um, but <laughs> these players are difficult to, to come across, um, and it's never going to be ideal when they're free agents coming into um, a team that 
you know, when, when they signed him, they, they probably needed to, to be ready as quick as possible. And that's just, that's not possible. Um, it takes time. So I don't know. Um, we, we, we know that Adrian Heath likes the pressing forward, as you mentioned. I don't know who's available right now that could, could work. I think there's one or two interesting names. I think there's one or two, and, and I have no prior knowledge, by the way, I don't know who the team's looking at, but um, in terms of a, a type of forward, I think a target man would just present them something different because that's not what Juan Agudelo's game is. That's not what Azaghan Unu's game is either. So it wouldn't surprise me if they went for, for a target man type centre forward. But we'll wait and see. Um, it's not the first time Minnesota have added players after the window. And, and that, I say late in the season. I know we're only sort of just past halfway, but um, you look at Kai Kamara um, last season, um, going back to Bradley Allen in 2017, um, Fernando Bob is another one that, that springs to mind. Mwembe um, Torat, you know, that this is something that Minnesota sort have of done in the past. So it wouldn't surprise me at all if they added somebody again over the course of the next few weeks, but we'll, we'll wait and see. Um, anyway, nevertheless, we'll focus on that when it's appropriate and the time comes. Next up, it's all about the opponents this weekend, Sporting Kansas City, with the assistant coach of SKC, Kerry Zavagna. Minnesota United fans, save time every time you use the online check-in for a great haircut and great clips. Download our app or check in online at greatclips.com. Great clips, it's gonna be great. And a very warm welcome back to the Match Preview Podcast. Callum Williams alongside Kindra D. St. Aubin, as always. Kindra, it's rivalry week in Major League Soccer. Naturally, meaning that Minnesota United will play their deepest, darkest rivals. Maybe, possibly, we don't really know, do we? Um, the friendliest of rivalries resumes. Sporting Kansas City coming to Minnesota United. We're delighted to be joined by the assistant manager, of SKC, Kerry Zavagna. Kerry, thanks so much for joining us. Welcome to the pod. How are you? Doing well, Cal. Good to be with you again. Really appreciate the time, mate. Um, okay, so let's get straight into it, shall we? Second in the Western Conference as it stands, Kerry. Uh, 11 wins on the season. How do you assess the campaign so far for Sporting KC? Well, I'd have to say to this point, we're, we're, we're fairly satisfied with how we've navigated the season to this point. Um, you know, we re- we've recovered 18 points from a losing position, which uh, is, is not, not usual for, for a team, certainly uh, in the history that we've had with our, with our organization, but also in the league. So there's a bit of resiliency in the group and the way that we've navigated the 90 minutes um, on one hand is a little bit concerning going down as much as we have, but on the other hand, uh, the group is resilient. It's a strong group. It's an experienced group. Uh, so I think the results are justified that we've gotten to this point. Uh, but there's a lot, a lot left to play for. I was going to say, Carrie, is that sort of the message? Like, hey, guys, I know, you know, I know you've proven that we can do this. We can come from behind, but let's not put ourselves in, in that position every time. It's a lot of work. Yeah, believe me, it's, it's not something that we draw up and say, let's go down a goal and then we'll, we'll start playing our game. Um, at the same time, we do understand that the game is 90 minutes um, and, and the process of wearing a team down and, and being the protagonist even more in the second half uh, as we've worn a team down with possession 
has seemed to be a recipe uh, in certain games this year that is that has yielded rewards. Um, but at the same time, against good teams, and as you get down the stretch here, uh, with with chances at a premium uh, to go down a goal is not something that's going to give you success over the long term. Now, Kerry, one thing I noticed is that Sporting KC have actually got more wins away from home um, this season. This is not the first time this has happened, if memory serves me correct, certainly over the last 10 years with Sporting KC. And please correct me if I'm wrong here, Kerry, but again, does it perhaps suggest that the style and the system that yourself and, and Peter have implemented, is it perhaps best suited for road games as opposed to home games? Yeah, I, I don't know if... Uh... <sighs> I don't know if I could directly translate it or, or, or say it that way. I, I would say that anytime you're the home team, there's an onus on you to, to be the protagonist and to carry the game. Um, one, you're at home. Two, you're there to entertain uh, your fans. And, and more often than not, it's the environment that you're more familiar with. And so all of those components yield towards a team uh, when they come into our place, sit back and, and trying to break them down. And so whether you're sporting Kansas City, Minnesota, or any other team in the world, to break down a, a low compact block of, of, uh, of players um, that get behind the ball, it's not easy. And so we find that when we play at home, there's a lot of teams that are on high alert. They understand the environment that they're coming into. And so to, to deal with not only the counterattacks that come uh, many times based on our style of play, but to break them down um, has, has been has been challenging, but it's challenging all the time, no matter what kind of team you have. And so when we go on the road, I think teams open up a little bit more. Um, and of course, we have some attacking weapons that, that can punish you. And so I, I think that's probably the answer is that whether you're home or away, it's not easy to break down a low block. Speaking of attacking weapons, talk to me about Daniel Shallowy and the season that he is having. I know 2018, he had a fantastic year and he's dipped a little bit. And then now he's right back where he left off, it seemed like, from 2018. What's made him so good this season? Combination of things. I, I think first and foremost, his, his confidence has returned. Um, and we see that in goal scores. Very streaky. And, and I think he's a great example of what confidence can do for a player. Um, the second piece is that he's surrounded by very good players uh, that, that takes some of the attention um, off of him in which he can't focus just on one player. So with Alan Polito, with Gotti Kinda, with, with Kyrie Shelton, with Johnny Russell, uh, there's, there's more, more to our attack than just one player. But Daniel has found himself in some great positions this year. We've had a lot of possession in the final third. Um, and in and around the goal, he's, he's been deadly. And so... He's riding a really good wave right now. We're riding it with him uh, and obviously getting results due to his, his form. Kerry, you were active on the trade deadline day as well, bringing in uh, Jose Mauri, the Italian uh, central midfielder, was previously with Tajeres in the Argentine Primera. Has played AC Milan and, and Palma in the past as well. How did that deal come about? It's a player that we've looked at for a couple of years now, and, and it seems like the acquisitions that... that that come to us aren't necessarily guys that we just find in, in the weeks during the window. It's, it's players that we've tracked for some time. Remy Walter is another example and probably the best comparison to a, to a Jose Murray, a, a player that's uh, in Remy who's touched the top uh, with Nice in League One in, in France, uh, has proven his level uh, in, in a league like that. And now you see a, a, a very similar profile in Jose Mari, a player that we've tracked since his days at Parma, um, as you as you touched upon, touching the top in, in AC Milan. 
um, and we found them in a moment that that uh, uh, that suited us financially and 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 coincided with his desire to come to the league. So we're really happy about the acquisition. Obviously, losing Busio um, and bringing in Mari, um, not an exact like for like, but certainly a very very good replacement for a, for a very good player that we lost. Speaking of losing a very good player in Busio, what made this the right time? Is it just that's when the price was right, the the time was right? What made this the right time for him to go to move on? Timing is everything. Um, timing the market, understanding where the player is, um, what kind of value you can get for him. Obviously, we we put him out there a lot this year. Uh, he had built he had been building up in previous seasons to getting different. Um, different roles and responsibilities, playing as the number eight, the number 10. Um, and this year, he's showcasing his abilities as a number six. And so I think he was ready. Uh, he, he, he had matured as a player, being a very young 19, but a mature player at 19. Um, is was a very viable, uh, hot commodity on the, on the transfer market. And so I think it made sense to everybody. And, and one of the things, having come through our academy, being a player that we've seen grow up, we also wanted to, to, to ensure that he went to a good situation. Um, and there were other suitors that came um, that probably may have suited us uh, similarly financially, but maybe not necessarily the best for the player. And I think it was a group effort to determine that his, ne- his next phase, his next progression as a player was a good one that put him in a position to be successful. What do you expect from Busio playing in Serie A? It's a good question. I, I, I think you always have these ideas of what players can be. Um, I, I think boost tactically and maturity wise um, has the capacity to play in the league. Uh, the level in which he ascends to, I think, is is up to him. If, if he can develop a little bit more in his defensive aspects, it all depends on the style of the team and, and what they turn into and how they use him and put him in the positions um, for him to be the most effective, but I'm, I'm personally really excited for him. It's a league, uh, that he's wanted to go to, uh, his father's from Italy. So I, I think he has some ties to the country itself. It's a very demanding league, a tactical league. Uh, but I think Busio does have the, certainly the wherewithal, um, instinctually and, and, and the ability to take in information to translate, uh, very well to that league. With young midfielders, does it benefit them to be playing all those different positions before they get that final move on or, or they solidify the spot with an MLS club? Does it benefit them to play multiple positions? I know we've had that conversation with Hassani Dotson as well. So long as it doesn't confuse them. Um, you, you don't just throw them out there and say, let's experience all these positions and, and allow them to swim in the deep end. I, I think there are parameters. Fortunately for us, there's fairly distinct requirements on the positions that, that we have. Our style of play is very, uh, very secure and, and solidified. And so to understand your role within the team and the position, I think is the most important to experience the multiple positions. Certainly um, it, 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 it's really up to the player and, and his ability to cope with um, moving positions on such a regular basis. But but Boos is a player that's a well-rounded player. And I think when you have a well-rounded player that reads the game well, those kinds of players have the ability to move from different positions and play different positions on the field. Kerry, I think the word legend is perhaps used a little too freely nowadays. And the reason I bring this up is because last night, Graham Zusi, 
According to Major League Soccer, played his 307th regular season game for Sporting KC, setting a new MLS record for games played by a one-club player. He is legitimately a club legend. He is. Uh, I, I, I didn't pay attention really to the statistic last night, but um, coming into work today and, and hearing about it this morning, I had to personally congratulate him because that that is quite a feat. Uh, Cal Ripken had quite a record in, in baseball. Um, you know, the, the one man, the one man club really doesn't exist anymore. Um, you think of the Maldinis of the world, uh, maybe the Giggses of the world. Um, Zussi is certainly a special um, uh, part of our, our history. And, and I remember in the early days when he first came into the club, uh, after we drafted him out of Maryland, each and every year that there was expansion and players were exposed, despite the fact that he wasn't playing, we, we had protected him every year and people were scratching their heads saying, why are you protecting a player that doesn't really play much? And, and I think you know, it's easy to say in hindsight that we knew he was going to become such an important part of our, our history and, and our team over the years, but never could I, or maybe many people here imagine that he would have appeared in 307 games and, what a, what a feat for him, uh, takes care of himself, even at 35 years of age in which he, he just had a birthday, is still going strong and, and continues to impress us uh, each and every day. Is that one of those players that you just can't, you can't really explain to someone what they mean, especially at this stage in their career, to the locker room, to the group, to the young guys, especially with the amount of homegrowns and young players that you guys have on the field or at training every day? Yeah, I, I think it's really surprising. You know, it's 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 strange to go up to the young players and say, and try to explain to them what you want out of them. It's much easier to say, you see that guy over there, do what he does. And and Graham is not an outspoken guy. Um, he doesn't speak much in the locker room. Over the years, he has actually said very little in team meetings. Um, when he does speak, I think the guys are at full attention. One because he doesn't speak very often. Um, but two, they understand what he has brought to this club and the mean, the meaningfulness that he goes about um, in his impact within the group. And so, yeah, he's a great example uh, for the young players. He's a great example for the older players that are now getting a little bit long in the tooth there of how to take care of yourself and to value each and every day. And his work ethic is, is, is second to none. And I think it's, it's the key component of why he's been able to sustain himself over the years is, is he comes to work and he proves himself, certainly tries to prove himself each and every day. Hey, let me ask you about Minnesota United as it stands, as we're recording this, sixth in the Western Conference, two defeats in the last 15. What is the outlook on them so far this campaign? You know, they remind me a little bit of the teams, not exactly in style or, or content, but um, I, I remember back in the day when teams would criticize the Houston Dynamo, Dominic Kinnear's team, and say, ah, you know what, they're, they're, they're having one of those years. And, and I think we knew on our side, don't worry about them, they're going to be just fine. And, and as Minnesota started the year, uh, I believe it was 0-4, myself and the staff included said, don't worry, they're going to be just fine. And, and you ask what we make of this year. We haven't paid too much attention to them, not because we don't deem them to be a worthy opponent. It's it's all of the games are coming on the back end, and and we're get we're going to get to know each other really well in the coming the coming weeks and months facing each other three times. 
And so I, I would say up until this point, I feel don't worry, they're going to be there. Um, and, and I think there's too many pieces. Adrian understands how this league works, when you have to peak, when you have to be at your best moments. And the team, whether the results are, you know, uh, trending in the up direction or the down direction, I think they've navigated the season with their own challenges um, in, in a stable way. I wouldn't say it's been fantastic. I wouldn't say it's poor. It's been, it's been stable. And they've, they've ridden the waves. Uh, they're at the point where they're within striking distance of the playoffs, and they have more than enough pieces, as we found out at the end of last year, to damage you and damage you in a very, a very good way. And so I'm personally not worried about uh, how they're going to finish the season. I think they're going to be there at the end. Um, certainly as we come down the stretch because they have just much quality uh, not to be. When you look at this Minnesota United roster and you speak of the quality, um, not necessarily knowing who's available with the quick turnaround here for Minnesota United, who do you look at and say, we got a game plan for this guy, we got a game plan for that? What what do you see from this roster? Well, I, I, if you're talking about individuals within the group, um, I, I, I think over the, over the year, right. And, and even dating back to last year, when I saw him up close, um, the strength of Debassi in the back, uh, has been a real stability for the back line, uh, not to take away from Boxel and company, but, um, he's been a, a really impressive piece of the defensive, um, components of the team, adding Will Trapp and having the experience of Alonzo, uh, certainly Trapp has gotten more of the minutes, but an experienced player in the game in the game with Gregus. And then you had touched upon the name with Dotson earlier, who's a really good young player, has the ability to play multiple positions um, and, and is really coming on uh, as, as a player in this league. Uh, but I think Reynoso is, is the focal point in terms of being the difference maker within the team. Um, I think he adds a different component uh, to Minnesota United, a creative element that, may have been lacking in previous years, but he, he, he brings the, the group to a different level in, in, the, in the realm that Apolito does for us, um, a key difference maker. Uh, haven't seen Hanu up close. Uh, and as we, I, I touched upon with Shallowy as being a streaky goal scorer, uh, goal scorers being streaky. I think Hanu, when you watch him play, has some really interesting pieces that if he can get get on the scorer sheet, um, more goals will come. And so that's a dangerous player that we need to be aware of that we haven't seen before. Um, Robin Lott is a, is a very good player. Uh, Ethan Finley is an experienced player. So I, I can keep going down the list and we know them well. Um, but if to summarize everything, I, I think Reynoso makes the team pick. Gary, you've seen the continuation of stadiums continue to to build and, and rise in this league and it was what 10 years ago that Sporting Park was built and it was the new shiny toy and it was wonderful and still is you've had a couple of experiences now at Allianz Field how much do you enjoy going to, to that stadium and seeing the atmosphere on a match day? Fantastic um, I, I think it's a great venue um, I, what I like about uh, the stadium the most is more often than not the climate's going to be kind to you and so you go down to the south, you play in Dallas, you play in Austin, even Kansas City during the summertime, it's it's some brutal temperatures. So to go up into the northern part of the country, whether it be the Pacific Northwest or even Minnesota, those conditions really serve um, serve the game well. And that it can be played at a high intensity. Um, and in a stadium, like you mentioned, when the crowd is in it, 
Um, you know that the opponent with Adrian's teams are going to be aggressive. They'll be on the front foot. They'll bring a lot of energy to the game. And those are the kind of environments that you want to play in. So we're looking forward to it. I know it's a day game. Day games are not um, something that, you know, they can go, they can go either way. They can be a dull summer, summer afternoon, or they can have high intensity. And hopefully we have a little break in the temperature. Uh, the climate is good so that both teams can really go after it. I hate to disappoint you, Gary. It's been quite warm up here. No, I know. Believe me. Yeah, I, <laughs> I, I have my fingers. Well, I'm not running and you're not running, so we can deal with anything. Well, yeah. But, uh, you know, maybe there's a little break in the break in the temperatures, but I know that it was in the 90s and perhaps the hundreds uh, in the next week. So hopefully there's a little break and the soccer gods are on our side. We'll wait and see. Uh, Kerry, look, thanks so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. Before we let you go, one final question. What defines a good season for Sporting KC? What does that look like? Well, we, we always we always have the objective when we go into a season, one, to be in the top four of the league um, and to be in a position to compete for championships. I think we are putting ourselves in a position to be in the top four in the league. Uh, as I said, a lot of, a lot left to be played. And once you position yourself and get home field advantage or some sort of home field advantage in the playoffs, you know it's about riding momentum. And I think a successful season will be if we can finish in the top four of the league um, and somewhere along the line pick up a trophy. Wonderful. Kerry Zavagden, Assistant Manager of Sporting KC. Thanks so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. My thanks, as always, to Kindred East St. Albin, our producer, Tyson Hill, and, of course, for you for listening at home as well. All eyes on Saturday afternoon when Minnesota United host Sporting KC.